0: is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by the pilotreport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly.
1: Episode 30, an interview with Dave Kaufman about flying a fighter jet at age 23, performing in the United States Air Force Thunderbirds, teaching in the Embraer Phenom, and more coming up now on this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast.
0: Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Neuville, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri and Len Costa.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast, episode number 30. I'm your host, Len Costa, and joining me on the show today, as always, are my favorite group of aviation. (laughs) <laughs> I was gonna say morons, but hey, whatever. <laughs> no, nice. I would wow. have
2: not approved. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: the first one that just came to mind today. I don't know why. Oh That's gosh. It. We love fun. you too. I know. Right. So uh starting off with my fate my first uh moron, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the show, Carl.
3: Yeah, this is quite moronic, but I'm here in Florida and enjoying the well, no, there is no sunshine. Imagine that. It's <laughs> cloudy here. But uh happy to see you or happy to be talking to everybody. I don't see anybody right now. So that was moronic right there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Moronic indeed. Okay. Next, Victoria, how are you?
2: I'm doing good. Might have to close the windows soon. Mm -hmm. All the cicadas are getting really loud in the woods.
1: Yeah, I'm having Uh, the same thing. Uh, Rick said he could hear the, uh, the crickets chirping in my window. So we'll see what happens. Oh, and by the way, I don't know. We can't call you Victoria Newville anymore. What do we decide on that?
2: Um, it's Victoria Newville, psycho.
1: Psycho. But
2: you can stick with Newville because I'm keeping that for work.
1: Victoria Newville, the psycho. Gotcha. Okay, hey. moving on. Hey. <laughs> That's me. Uh, Rick joining us today. How are you, Rick? Yes, I'm here and I'm doing great. Looking forward oh. to the show. All right. I'm Len Costa, and uh, we are recording uh, everybody. Nobody's on the road today. Everybody's at home in their studios, their bedrooms, their uh, back patio, porch, wherever we are. Shirtless. Hey, I didn't want to bring it up. It's summertime. It's hot. I'm sorry. I am podcasting topless. Oh, boy. Anyway, thanks for bringing that up, Victoria. Everybody just uh, lost their lunch now. Wonderful. Um, Twice.
4: (laughs) Will you take a picture so we can put it in the metadata feed?
1: maybe <laughs> no, no, please don't, please don't. Okay. <laughs> we interrupt the show to bring you a brief apology about today's audio quality lens microphone apparently was super sensitive and picking up the chirping crickets in the background of the room with the windows open during a summer's eve and our guest dave's audio is a little bit low but we've worked the best we can to get this show presented to you today so please enjoy and now we return to our regularly scheduled episode. Let's do the pre-flight. Oh uh, shoot! All right, we got a couple of quick announcements to get the show started, and then we do have a uh, a guest tonight uh, who's going to be sharing some really cool aviation stories. But uh, go ahead, Carl. You wanted to share.
3: Um, you wanted to share a uh, an announcement. Yes. Yeah. Actually, uh, coming up September first, second, and third is the Cleveland National Air Show. And I have a lot of friends over in Cleveland, so I just want to say hi to all them. and and I know that they're excited to go to this one cause this year, uh, one of the acts that they'll have is the Blue Angels and the uh, also the u s. Navy uh, Leapfrogs, and that's the Navy Seals and they jump out of the uh, the helicopter helicopter, or the c one thirty. I can't remember. And uh, they'll also have some really cool shows like Jane Wicker and uh, Sean Tucker. And the B-17 yep. will be there, the T-6 Texan, the original T-6 Texan, not the Texan 2. And, uh, you know, Metro flight, you know, local type of, of axe Air. But the other really cool thing that I want to see pictures of this year is the F-22. And the F-22 will be flying with a P-51 Mustang Heritage Flight. So it's going to be a lot of fun, lots of stuff for the kids to do. This is like a wonderful air show that I've always wanted to go to and haven't been able to go. And this year I'm going to miss it again. But uh, I really, um, it's got Mike Goulain, I think that's how you say his name, and and the Sky Soldiers, oh yeah, you know, the the Apache helicopters that uh, they have out there that that have this demonstration, that's really cool too. So it's a a big air show, it really is, and it's right there on on the lake, and they're going to have, I guess the Canadian, uh, let's see, the Canadian Navy is going to have a little demonstration there too. So if you get a chance, get there September first, second, and third. Lots to do for everybody.
1: Oh Canada! Oh. Is else? That's all. That's the only part I know. That's it.
4: Our okay. home and native land. I went to I went to school <laughs> up near the border, so we
1: had to. If sing you went it.
2: to Oshkosh, you would have heard it all when the Canadian skydivers oh, jumped. Cool. Oh.
1: True. Very true. Well, for our Canadian listeners, there's, uh, to the best of my ability, my singing. That's why I'm not in a, uh, It's not why I'm, you know, <laughs> singer for professionally.
2: You.
1: Um, Victoria, tell us about uh, your announcement.
2: Um, well, as you know, I'm very involved in Women of Aviation Week, which promotes aviation to women who have uh, never been in small aircraft before during the week that the first uh, female got her pilot certificate. Um, I am the United States team leader for uh, the 2013 Women of Aviation Week, so I am the big title, big shoes to fill, and it's pretty much I need to get everyone involved and get other um, airports to put on Fly It Forward events like the one I did in Frederick, and um, I just wanted to give a shout out to all our listeners. If anyone's interested, um, it can be big or small or know someone that you, you might think may be interested just to, uh, drop me a line and I'd be happy to talk with you about hosting your own flight forward event.
3: How much of a commitment is that, uh, Victoria, <laughs> as far as time and, it and can energy is as-
2: big or small, you know, it took about five months of my life for, um, the, uh, event we did and we flew 244 women, but I kind of made it huge and had many aspects of it. You know, if you just want. Um, to fly 50 women, that's fine as well. And the theme is space this year, so we're trying to get astronauts to come out and talk to the ladies. And, you know, there's a lot of fun things going on, and you can make it as much of a commitment as you want to. It just really depends um, on what you want to do and how many people you can get to help you out.
3: That's really cool. So they'll just find it. Uh, how how do they find it again, Victoria?
2: Um, they can look up uh, all about the Women of Aviation Week on womenofaviationweek.org. And just um, you can actually email me at Victoria N, which is Victorian at WomenOfAviationWeek dot org, um, cool. if you're interested.
1: Good. I hope some folks do get uh, do reach out to you and help out and participate in that program. It's definitely a. Uh well, Carl can vouch for it. A, it's both of our first times, actually. I, me, I, was, I made it for cake last year. I mean, of course, if there's cake, I'll come to the barbecue. But I actually <laughs> oh, did make food. the event. Yeah, I know. Isn't it for us Italians? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's definitely a um, an event that's uh, worthy of participating in and promoting. And uh, we do we do encourage folks to get in touch with you, Victoria. And, Thank you. And I'll give each coming. of
2: them a shout-out on the podcast. And if I don't hear from anyone, maybe I'll just quit because no one's listening. <laughs> <laughs> There's your challenge.
1: <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um, cool. Rick, uh, tell us about your yeah. announcement, your shout-out, actually. Yeah, and, it's a uh, quick quick yeah. tip
2: of the
4: hat and shout-out to uh, uh, a friend of the uh, Stuck Mike Avcast um, and a young pilot who actually just became a pilot today, um, Andrew Blanchard, a um, guy who flies out of uh, Marshfield here in Massachusetts, which is Golf mm-hmm. Hotel Golf. Um, he and I've done a little bit of me- meeting up, uh, you know flying as he's progressed, and uh, after some delays, he passed his uh, private pilot check ride today, so way to go dude. and he did it. He did it a day before he heads out to college to Purdue <laughs> to study to study aviation. so Excellent. H- it would have been cool. doable there, but a little a little messier and uh, some new planes to learn uh, while doing the check ride. So better to get it out of the way. So congratulations, Andrew.
1: Andrew Absolutely. good job. congratulations, yeah. Andrew. So yay. Yay! Well, somebody, Victoria, were you baking a cake and send it to him? I'm not very good. <laughs> That's in the okay. Kitchen. I don't.
4: I don't. We'll, we'll figure something out.
2: I don't know how that will ship. <laughs>
1: <laughs> very carefully, bite by bite. I'll try my best. Uh oh, sweet. Now entering cruise flight. Well, we have, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we do have a guest, uh, as we do from time to time here on the Stuck Mike Avcast where we sit down with uh, an interesting aviator and uh, get to share their experience and how they became interested in aviation and the different uh, achievements and accolades through uh, you know, through the, um, their time as an aviator. And tonight um, we have actually, I think, probably one of our more distinguished and accomplished aviators on the call with us today. Uh, this uh, gentleman graduated from the Florida Institute of Technology with a Bachelor's of Science in Commercial Flight Technology. Later, completing his master's degree in aeronautical science from Embry Riddle, uh, joined he joined the Air Force in the Officer's Training School later um, in Reese at Reese Air Force Base in Texas. He also flown the F-16. I've got a huge list here. I can't I couldn't memorize all this, so I had to write it all down. So pardon me if this sounds canned, but I'm I'm, I'm reading these notes. There's just so much awesome stuff here. Flew the F-16 uh, with the 614 Tactical Fighter Squadron. Served 23 years in the Air Force as a lieutenant, a lieutenant colonel. Uh, was a T-37 instructor pilot in Columbus air, uh, Columbus air Force Base. Served as the assistant chief of the 14th Flight and Training Wing Standardization Evaluation Division. On and on. My favorite thing right here. He was um, toured with the Air Force Demonstration Squadron, uh, as we all know as the Thunderbirds, flying over 140 air shows in 50 states also around Europe, South America. Without further ado, our special guest today, Dave Kaufman. Welcome to the show, Dave.
5: Thank you very much, man. appreciate it. It's fun to be here. Uh, I also, uh, it's fun to be called uh, a moron at the beginning of the show. That's kind of
1: fun. We're trying to work in a good insult at the beginning of the show, but to humble us all. But uh, yeah, welcome. And And like I said, um, you know, it's great to have you here today. You've got quite uh, quite the extensive history. And it's funny because you and I have interacted online, mostly through Twitter. And for some reason, I hadn't been to your website in a while. And I was visiting it, you know, obviously in the last couple of weeks. And I'm reading your bio and I'm like, I did not know these things about Dave. This guy is so interesting. Um, so, you know, like I said, just give us, uh, maybe the, the quick rundown of what got you started in aviation and then we can move on from there. I know my co-hosts have a lot of questions about stuff, especially about your time in the Thunderbirds. That's really cool. Um, we've actually, uh, you are our first air show, uh, pilot to be on the show. So you're definitely number one there. Um, but tell us a little bit about how you got started in aviation.
5: Well, sure. Uh, well in high school, I was part of a aviation explorers group. We had a class actually our school offered in Atlanta and uh, one of those uh, one of the trips that we made was out to uh, uh, Dobbins Air Force Base Uh, back in those days late 70s it was a um, F-105 base and uh, I saw one of those airplanes in the break when we were uh, touring the base and thought that's what I'd like to do I I think I was 13 then and uh, uh, within a few years I had completed my uh, private pilot's license and And I knew that's what I wanted to do for the rest
1: of my life. So you, um, okay, so from there, do you, you, let's see, I'm just looking at the notes here. You got, uh, so you had your private pilot's license actually before you went to Florida Institute of Technology, I gather. That's the way I understand it correctly.
0: Yeah,
5: yeah, that's right. I I had uh, finished a private license when I was in uh, my junior year in high school. And then uh, had looked at Embry-Riddle or Florida Tech to go to college. I decided on Florida Tech and then uh, earned my, uh, all my pretty much all my ratings in commercial instrument and the instructor and um, multi engine and instrument instructor while I was in college. And uh, with the idea that one day I would fly for uh, one of the airlines. I, at the time, back in the early 80s, Delta was one of those jobs that uh, everybody thought was the best thing going. And, and that's what I thought I would something in the middle of college i thought no i think i'd like to go fly fighter so um i set my sights on that at the end of my junior year and uh, kind of got the ball
1: rolling in that direction so do you have any after you know after spending all that time in the air force and the things that you've accomplished and the experiences you, you had do you think you made the right decision you because you know i wonder having gone to the airlines it's definitely i don't know if it's something i want to do until i retire but uh What's your point of view on on whether or not you made a good decision? Do you miss it? Do you wish you would have flown, gone to Delta?
5: Well, so I, I, the experiences I had um, with what I did in the Air Force, you can't pay for the things we got to do. I mean, the um, you know I, Disney. I haven't been to Disney World in a long time. My kids were growing up, but you know, they used to call those uh, the great rides the e-ticket rides, you know. And uh, I, I look at some of the things I got to do in the Air Force and. ultimate e-ticket rides, Um, and and you just can't, I could never have done anything like that going the other direction, Mm -hmm. so I look back, and uh, for me, it was the right decision. Now, there's a lot of sacrifice that goes along with that, not just uh, for me, but for my family, and uh, it's not for everybody, so you know, there's a lot of commitment there, a lot of deployment, a lot of time away from home, Um, not to say that the airline life's not a It was it was a blast, and uh, I wish I was 21 again. I go do it again.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. So tell us, uh, maybe what was your most um, you know? Since we're kind of on the topic of of your time in the Air Force, uh, what was uh, your most you know a favorite moment and uh, you know, your most favorite moment uh, during your, your say 23 years? I think it was said 23 years there.
5: Yeah, that's right. It was it was 23 years. I, I um. I guess I'd have to say, um, probably there's a couple of different moments, but both of them I think were when I was um, with the Thunderbird team. Uh, the, you can't imagine the people that you get to meet when you're put into that situation. You know, it's just, uh, you're always meeting different, just interesting, neat folks wherever you go. But two of the highlights during that, that two year tour, I got, at the time, I was very much involved. When you're on the Thunderbird, you got to play golf. So we we did a lot of golfing wherever we went. But <laughs> we uh, one of the show stops we made was in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, and, and if you're a golfer, you know that that's the that's where Arnold Palmer is from. Mm-hmm. In '92, our stop there was uh, to do a show in Latrobe, and it just happened to be that uh, Mr. Palmer was in town, and he had us over to his club. Invited all the officers to uh, sit down. He, he hosted a dinner for us, and then gave us a tour of his of his house and showed us all his his memorabilia from. Uh, I think it was he won four Masters tournaments. Anyway, so we, we got to see his his, um, his basement where he had all of his old golf equipment and his, a lot of his old score scorecards. Anyway, that was that was one of the memorable uh, events. The other one was. Um, the, uh, we, we made a tour of the White House, uh, I think it was that same year. Yeah, I think it was, just maybe a month or so later. And we walked through, um, went into the Oval Office and met with uh, President uh, Bush, the, the senior. And um, that that was really, that was an awe-inspiring moment. I really enjoyed that. And, and I look back on those two events and just think, gosh, what a, if you get, did nothing else for the two years, those are pretty neat things, and uh, I really enjoy.
4: It. Mm-hmm. Very cool. I, you know, I have a quick question just to back up on. Just, and we can jump around uh, as we go here. Um, as sort of maybe the the low the lowest time pilot on the on the show, um, I'm sort of interested in in your training and how you know the, I am, I can imagine there were steps unless unless it's done amazingly well. There are steps you take as you proceed up the technology and speed ladder. That are that are bigger than others. That that are more sort of uh, jarring and and you know take some getting used to. And I wonder if you could talk about that a little. You know, from from having a private pilot's license to at some point, when was it like, whoa, this <laughs> this is a this is intense what I'm doing now? Were there any of those any of those big leaps that you could think of that that stuck that kind of stick out in your memory?
5: Yeah, Rick, that's a say uh, you know. Anybody who's flown before they they get into... You know, a lot of the folks that I went through pilot training with, they had never flown. You know, six months before they got into pilot training, they were hanging around the frat houses drinking beer, and, Mm. you know, they were pedestrians. (laughs) Right. You know, and then they they get thrown into the the, uh, the, uh, cauldron there and just start learning how to fly, sink or swim, if you will.
4: Yeah.
5: Uh, But going to pilot training with some experience, um, I think it, it didn't really... Hit me until I get into the T 38 mm-hmm. just because of the speed. Because everything, relatively speaking, your primary jet training and that for us was the T 37. And mm-hmm. you know, pretty much your max, you run around at 200 knots and, and, and you're in the pattern. It's it's just like flying a, a, a little quicker Cessna than 172, you know. But mm-hmm. when you get in that T 38 with there's, there's that little skinny wing and mm-hmm. uh, you're flying your patterns, 175 knots instead of 100 knots. <laughs> um, that that's where it that's where it. Uh, I guess it'd be a you know, the guys, the guys that hadn't flown, I and mean, the guys, even the guys that had flown. Once you get in that 238, it's just a whole different uh, environment. Right. That'd I am mean, that,
4: sorry, to interrupt you. I just, that, I can imagine there's a moment where you go, okay, this is a new, this is a new game here, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn it, you know. But that's that's cool. That's a great description.
5: I guess. Back on that point, the, the next one would be um, once I graduated from pilot training, and then we had to go through, uh, and they still do it today, when they call it something different. We went through what they called lead-in, uh, lead-in fighter training, and at the time it was taught down in Holloman uh, Air Force Base down in southern New Mexico. Um, uh, Kind of a fun, fun, place to go to fly. there wasn't a whole lot else to do. Other than <laughs> there was a nice barbecue shop there. But other than that, <laughs> but you know, it, when you start learning how to do uh, to drop bombs and to, and to learn how to tactically maneuver an airplane, mm-hmm. that's that's where we learned for eight weeks. That's all we did there is, is try to fly the airplane like a fighter, and well. all it was was it just a little souped-up P-38. It had a different paint job, and uh, they threw a, uh, a bomb. Dispenser unit on the bottom of the airplane, mm-hmm. and also had a, uh, a uh, seven point six two millimeter gun that they would put on the airplane. But anyway, those that was another leap, and, yeah. the, and the last one was when I got to Luke Air Force Base to, to learn the F sixteen.
4: as in Phoenix, right?
5: Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. And I, I think just now they got uh, they found out they're going to be doing the F thirty five training oh. there. So, but and then taking the, those lessons we learned from pilot training and then at, at leading fighter training at uh, Holloman and then going to Lou, you know, you, you basically you've only got a couple hundred, maybe 250 hours in the Air Force airplane, and now you're, you're strapping on a gray F-16, you know. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, and so that, that was the next one. The next leap was uh, going, I think we had four rides, you had a bunch of academics before we ever got into the airplane, but um, I think we had four rides in a two-seater F-16, and then your fifth ride was uh, in a single seat. You had your flight lead in a single seat next to you, and you went out and, and uh, started to learn how to fly at that one. So wow. that was that was a blast, man. Wow. I <laughs> <Think bet>. back, <laughs> 20 I think it was 22 at the time, and in a... In a 15 or $18 million jet. <laughs> Pretty slick. Wait, how old did you say you were? Well, I graduated college when I was 21. Uh-huh. And when I finished pilot training, I was 22. So wow. I started at Luke, I think, just before my 23rd birthday.
4: Wow. So, you're, yeah, you're 23 and you're bombing around in an F-16. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <Crazy. laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah. Amazing. Well, no, that, that's those are all, I get it. Those all make perfect sense that, you know, I've always wondered about those... Um, you know, the single seat situations. I know in many cases they've got tw- two seat trainers, um, but there are, you know, I always see those single seat planes. Go, wow. How do you, how do you learn to do that, you know, uh, alone? But I obviously having a two seater at least for four flights is nice. Uh, although I can't even imagine that being enough, but that's great. Very fun.
3: Yeah. I just, I have a quick question here as far as your achievements. There's something that I've always been interested in. It's like the Congressional Medal of Honor for the air. It's called the Distinguished Flying Cross, and I know that's a, a simplification. And there's many ways that that people can be recommended for this, and you've actually achieved that. And I noticed yours says aerial achievement. And what what is that? What is this thing, the Distinguished Flying Cross, and, and what is aerial achievement, and and how did you get that, and how did you become recommended? Well, I, I think that
5: those two words, aerial achievement, get used. You know. In, in the Air Force, I think it crosses all lines of DOV. There's whether it's Navy or Air Force or Marines or whatever. Um, aerial achievement is kind of a, a catchphrase for a lot of different things. It could mean, you know, a, a guy that did what I did on the Thunderbirds, or a guy who went to combat and you know got shot at. So that that could be aerial achievement. Um, for my two years on the Thunderbirds. As well as the guys that I flew with, we we were awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross, um, and it wasn't because we got shot at; it was because we represented the Air Force and, uh, in front of a lot of a different, uh, in a lot of different situations, and in front of a lot of different people. And, uh, and for that reason, they they, they uh, awarded us the D S C
3: Well, you know, and and we're very proud of everybody that's that's been in the. Uh... And the Thunderbirds, and, and uh, you guys truly are ambassadors to, uh, for the United States Air Force. We really appreciate what you do, and, and you do inspire quite a few people across this country and across the world.
5: It's amazing. Well, well thanks, Carl. It was a real honor to be able to, to do that. Uh, it's ironic, the, um, you know, you train. Uh, my first tour was over in uh, Torah Air Base just outside of Madrid, Spain. And our primary mission, when I was there, was uh, we, back in the, in the Cold War days, uh, we were one of the nuclear uh, armed elements in, in, the, um, in the southern region of Europe. And uh, so we, we would actually sit alert over in Italy, in Aviano Air Base, and we had targets in, um, uh, to the east of us. And we also sat alert over in Turkey and we had targets to the north of us. And so you train for combat all the time. And, you know, we, we never, obviously, we never delivered those bombs, but we sat alert with nuclear bombs. And I can remember being 23 years old again and uh, and sitting alert with a nuclear weapon. I'm thinking that, um, you know, you train and you train and you train. Uh, three more years after that, you know, I was, I was at Columbus Air Force Base as an instructor in the T-37. And then I got pick for the Thunderbirds, uh, two and a half years into that tour, well, August of 90, if, if you guys remember your history, is when uh, Saddam Hussein invaded uh, mm-hmm. Kuwait. Well, I got picked for the Thunderbirds in July of 1990, and uh, so it, it was kind of one of those things. And I, I, I love doing what I do with Thunderbirds, but by the same token, you know, it, it was like you train for the Super Bowl, and the Super Bowl comes, and you, you didn't get to go. <laughs> so I have that regret, of not having been able to go to mm-hmm. uh, the Gulf War. A lot of my contemporaries uh, uh, did. But, uh, you know, I got to do some, they didn't get to do too. But uh, in either case, I got to represent my country, and uh, it was,
3: uh, I'm better for it. Well, it seems like you, you, you uh, suffered some almost combat uh, type of uh, conditions there with, uh, I guess you had an incident where you had an afterburner explode. And uh, you were given the distinct, uh, Pilot of Distinction Award. And that, that to me, now first of all, an afterburner ex- exploding, that kind of seems like a misnomer to me because it seems like it's it's always exploding when it's, all that gas is being poured out there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well, did did you could you describe that for us? I mean, what, what was that like? I mean, that must have been well, really kind of scary.
5: Sure. Well, it was kind of interesting because uh, it was my first season with the team. It was late in the year, so... Um, you know, I had a fair amount of experience, but um, we were flying a show. We went back to where, where I was an IP, you know, the year before. We were at Columbus Air Force Base, And um, during my opening maneuver uh, as one of the solos, I, uh, the Diamond takes off, and then the other solo, number uh, five, would take off. Well, my maneuver was a, uh, on takeoff was a max climb. Uh, to a split S. And as I was exiting the show line, at, um, if you were the crowd, you're looking to the show center to down the right side of the line. I was 150 feet and 500 knots and uh, pulling up to exit the show line. And I just felt this huge, just, I don't know how hard to describe it, but um, what I thought it was at the time was an, an afterburner blowout. And those are things that, with the old uh, Pratt F-100 engine, we would have occasionally in uh, back in my my combat unit in the Gray F-16. If you mishandled the throttle when you were in a close-in fight uh, with another airplane, in other words, you went, let's say, you went from idle all the way to max AB. Well, that was a no-no in that old F-100 engine. Well, I thought that's what had happened, but I hadn't mishandled the throttle. See, Um, but. Uh, move along. So I, I looked down at my panel. There everything looked normal. The nozzle for the uh, the uh, engine was cycling normally. Um, anyway, it all looked it all looked fine. I, I exited the show line and thought, well, later on in the show I've got a max turn uh, with normally it would be a full AB max turn eight to nine G, 425 knots turn. But I thought, well, I'll just do it in mill. You know, I'll just leave it mill power. I won't use the AB. And I wasn't going to say anything. You know. But so I, I went down to the other side of the show line. I went behind the, the crowd line. And normally, that's where we do our we do a FOD check. We roll the airplane upside down, make sure there's nothing going to get in the way when we do that down low. And uh, I flipped the airplane back right side up, and that's about slowed down about 350 knots. And, And uh, I went to push the power up, went to push the power up, and the airspeed indicator kept decreasing. (laughs) So I knew I had a problem. (laughs) That's when I knew I had a problem. So I, I went ahead and uh, terminated the show, and uh, got everybody involved and knocked it off. And I got the uh, Mo Mo Mobile was the the other solo. I got him to join on me, and um, he joined up and he said, uh, "Dave, you need you need to land." (laughs) Your, your everything aft of your, your tail section is you, gone on your airplane, and uh, uh, parts of your rudder are gone. And um, anyway, that's that's when I first knew I had a problem.
3: And that uh, you said a blowout. You said that's something that happens every so often, but this was this this seems like like you said a catastrophic failure. And there, I'm looking at the picture right now. And it just. It seems like I don't know something got in there and just came apart. Did yeah. they Did they determine what happened?
5: You know, I, I, as I recall, and it's been a, quite a few years, but there it was there it, it was some kind of a issue in the intake. There was some kind of overpressure that created that, and I just don't know. I don't remember what exactly it was. It, was, it wasn't a it wasn't a foreign object thing. It wasn't anything like that. It was just somehow something. The air fry someone, right? One of those all you know, all shucks moments that uh, <laughs> they just blew off, and, uh, and they, they estimated. Now I do remember this they estimated that normally in mill power, you know, everything except for effort, you would have about 20. I want to say it thousand pound airplane so it was going down you know eventually was going to go down no matter of where but uh, i was able to you know obviously we're close to the to an airfield and we had a lot of you know, three big runways there at columbus and uh mo chased me back and i was able to get it on the ground and uh jump into a spare
3: wow a little bit nervous after that one i guess
5: you know it, it was uh this may sound—I um, don't know what—it may sound cocky, but I, I, it, it wasn't. It was just, you know, all the training we did. you, you just trained so hard. Always, if you lost your engine, you know, no kidding, lost it, that uh, you'd be able to get your airplane. Now, if you had—if you weren't close to an airfield, then, then by all means, you're going to have to jump out of it. But um, since we were so close and practiced those flight out patterns all the time, it
3: was. Pretty comfortable thing to do. You know that's something interesting you just said. This because I, I think that's important with training. Uh, no matter what level you're at, military c- and civilian is is constantly training for emergencies. And I know in the military, you guys do that all the time. And and I think that's probably why. You know, it doesn't sound cocky. It's like this is this is what you do. You know, you're you're trained constantly for an emergency. So when it happens, you just you're almost like an automatic pilot. And you're like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This, this, and this. I've already done this. I've seen this before, type of thing. And I think it's exactly,
5: exactly. I don't mean to cut you off. I just saying just jumping on your point. It's you, you do it so so many times that uh, it's like eh, no big deal. You know, been there, done that. and you Go figure it out. You know, it wasn't that big of a deal. And
3: and I think that carries over to I, I'm assuming your civilian training because you yeah. actually you instruct still. You you teach in in many different ways in jets and and helping people uh, get certified in the, the Phenom and the 100 and the 300. And I'm, I'm going to assume that you probably do quite a bit of emergency training and abnormal conditions training, I would assume, just from your military background.
5: Yeah, well, I, I think, um, unfortunately, you know, we don't, obviously when the government's paying the bill, I think you get better training than you do um, when it's a for-profit adventure. Um, uh, that's just reality, you know, right. um, when, you're, when you're hauling iron for the Air Force or the Navy, uh, you, know, you, you may not get paid as well as an airline captain, but you, you train, I think, you train just as hard, if not harder, uh, whether it's you know, in a combat scenario or uh, for merchants you know, you, you, you are prepared, and and uh, I think, um, and, and Len can speak to this better than I can, air carriers, those guys are the best trained guys as far as guys are flying, uh, uh, at least in a civilian uh, world. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I emphasize that as it, any instructor does. You know, whether you're instructing a, a private student on the way to an MTP student, you still got to hammer home those, those points to, to ensure that, that things don't aren't going right, but you, you react in a way that's uh, just like you've been there before.
3: And yeah, and, and I guess like you said, Len can attest to that. Len, you just finished uh upgrade training and uh with the airlines and I guess you can compare it to what we were just talking about. Sure, yeah,
1: I did. And it was it's interesting because um, you know, we did the first couple of actual flights with a uh with an observation pilot, which basically a Czech airman, somebody certified by the, uh, the airline itself to be able to observe and give training in the capacity that they do. And um, w- why I say it's interesting is because all through training it's emergency after emergency after emergency. I never, shoot, I don't think I ever got above 5,000 feet unless we were doing, a, practicing an emergency uh, um, descent or a loss of pressurization. And so when I first got into the airplane last week, and I pushed those thrust levers forward, and I was going to take off from point A to point B, here I am waiting for something to explode, a fire, so you know a steering disengagement or a steering failure, and run off the runway. I, you know, what I, all these things I've been throwing at me for for six weeks, I pushed those thrust levers forward. Nothing happened. You know, nothing happened other than what was intended to. We rolled down the runway. I took off. I went from point A to point B. And nothing bad happened, but um, the training is good. The training is definitely. I actually wish I trained more. And in in fact, in a general aviation world, I wish I did more emergency training and more maneuver training. I'm, I can I can personally vouch for that. It's just it's so useful and so helpful.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. And that's and that's the neat thing about the militaries. They constantly are doing that over and over and over again. I was fortunate to be involved in initial flight training with the Air Force as a civilian contractor and. You know, there's just so much we can do. Uh, they're paying a certain amount uh, for the training, but when they go, and I've talked to guys after they went to a uh, UPT, it's called undergraduate pilot training, they actually are constantly, always, like you're just saying, they're always being trained and always doing something, an emergency maneuver or something along the way. And that's- I think that's that's great because when you when you get that, ingrained in your head you know exactly what you're going to do just like mm-hmm. you know when I'm flying with single engines I always tell my students hey where are you landing right now and you should always know exactly where you're landing mm-hmm. and uh you know that's, that's some interesting parallels there with between between the military and also the the airline world and I think a lot of it uh, correct me if you know I'm wrong but I think a lot of the training on the mil or excuse me on the airline side comes from a lot of the military side, because I think that's actually how it got started. Most people were in the military, then mm-hmm. moved over to the airlines, and I think that structure and that training you can see has has come a long way, and that's why we have the safest mode of transportation in the world is the airlines, especially in the United States. But uh, I think I think I think, Glenn that you know, first of all, congratulations on finishing that up. Thanks. <laughs> I I think that you know, it it would be so. So neat to see us do more maneuvers training, like like Dave. I, I think he talks about oh, and I did this. I did a split S. You, you know, you don't. We, <laughs> yeah, hello. We don't do split S's. You know, what was it we that? don't. Have you ever done a split S? No, maybe not. Yeah. You know, well, you,
1: what do we do in the simulator? We had an aerodynamic demonstration in the simulator where uh, we had to roll the airplane because we had to see. I think it was the responsiveness. Do you remember, did you do yes. that? Did you get a chance to do that? Yeah, I did a spin and, and a roll. Yeah, yeah, and a roll, yeah. But That's that was, it. That's the extent. But that was in the simulator. That was in the sim, right. The safety of the simulator.
3: Which, which comes to another point that now, I mean, we can't do a lot of these things in the airplane, but we have these incredible simulators nowadays that we can go through all these procedures we can never do before, which I think's helped a lot. I think in the beginning, especially in the military, they were you know kind of bending some metal but now they can do a lot of training in the simulators and and also in the airplane of course but that helps in doing training and getting prepared for those emergencies without having to risk anybody's lives Mm -hmm. i think that's really really cool now but dave a a question for you as far as going back to training in the military when was the first time uh, you ever did any type of aerobatics like a loop or roll a spin when did when was the first time you did that
5: that was back in the primary training in the T-37. We, we uh, I don't remember exactly when we started it. Um, I think it was after um, after solo, and we will get back in the airplane with the instructor, and then we'd go out and work on um, all the uh, we call it a contact back then. You know, for your uh, whether it's loops, rolls, um, fluid acid and you know, all those kind of things. We started working on those uh, spins as well. Uh, and you had to you had to demo those in your um, in your check ride, you know, all through at least primary training. Then we did some of that in the P thirty eight as well.
3: Wow, and
5: you I was just going to say it's it's ingrained in it. You know, you have got to learn how to max perform the airplane, as well as to uh, you know, fly it very controlled in an instrument flight. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're doing the whole gamut of what the airplane will allow you to do.
3: Now everybody does that training, right? Even the folks that are flying tankers, right?
5: Yeah, in the in the primary training, that's right.
3: So they they they've all gotten that training. Whereas a lot of times, ta- you know, you have guys that are flying for the airlines who haven't gone through any of that type of training. Anything, nothing at all. No, yeah, no, no upset recovery, et cetera, mm-hmm. Which, which actually, you know, I'm I'm glad to hear, Len, that you did some of that too. And I think that's that's important. But uh, that that's one of the things I think I I really like about military pilots and the ones I've flown with is that they've. They've really gone through all this training. When you do have an emergency with them, it's like, gee, you know, they, they kind of kick into that autopilot mode, that mm-hmm. type of thing. But you, you said you, you flew the T thirty seven. That's the that's the dog whistle, right? The uh, or the tweet. <laughs> <laughs> that thing that I yeah. could oh my god, that thing is the loudest. I used to fly out of college station in Texas and those would come in all the time. That's the loudest darn plane I've ever heard. Oh man. Maybe cause it's down close to the ground. Why is that so loud? I don't
5: know. Those old motors, I guess.
3: <laughs>
5: the uh, it, it was a fun little airplane. It, uh, I, I, I got a chance to ride in a, T-6, a Texan 2, uh, but it's been a bunch of years. But uh, uh, that T-37 was a good little good little primary trainer. Um, good for what it was built for, and they, they, they got their money's worth out of that thing. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I think they got 50 years out of that.
3: Yeah, what was it, an 09 or something? Is it when they got rid of it? Somewhere along, uh, I think I'm not sure, but it, it was well into this.
5: Uh, well, I don't know, five or six years ago, I think maybe that the last one was uh, was out in the, the, the Texan two. Wow,
3: and then so now you transitioned from doing all this military flying. You're you're actually uh, trained in the Phenoms now, and or you do training in the Phenoms and the 100 and the 300, right? Is that correct?
5: Yeah, I do a little little bit of a uh, little bit of everything. I I um. I've got a business that um, I do some work, uh, contract work, whether it's just as a mentor pilot. See, a lot of these these airplanes, these owner, I say that, that that are single pilot. Well, I'm just going to speak for the Phenom community, but the uh, Embraer 100 and the 300, Phenom 100 and 300, are built to be uh, single pilot airplanes. And a lot of these guys that buy them are, you know, these are owner flown airplanes. Not, not all the guys that buy them fly on single pilot. Uh, and, uh, many of them, have got, I think, have got excellent judgment because they end up hiring somebody like me, Me, so it gives me gives me some income. and um, But it, uh, from a safety perspective, you know, a lot of these guys are coming out of, uh, um, whether it's a Cirrus or a Bonanza or a TBM, and moving into their first jet. And... Um, so, they're dealing with a lot of whether it's the high altitude regime or you know, they're flying a jet now, and there's differences there. And, um, and there's a lot of things going on for a guy who, well, maybe he you know, may be the, the best businessman, they may you know, be a, just an excellent, intelligent guy, but when it comes to flying, you know, you can, anybody knows you can get busy and you can get behind. And, uh, so, anyway, my, my point is, is that a lot of these owner flown airplanes. Even though they've got a single pilot type rating, are choosing to fly with a, uh, a mentor pilot uh, to help them with those kind of situations, whether it's just navigation radios or you know whatnot. But um, and, and I, that that's one of the aspects I help with. I also um, instruct folks that are that don't want to necessarily go to the simulator for their type rating. I, I do in airplane uh, prep. For the type rating check ride in the 100, I haven't I haven't taught anybody in 300 yet, but that, I'm sure that'll be down the road. But, um, and then uh, I also do some some factory acceptance and uh, and carrying for uh, you know new owners, whether it's 100 or 300. I haven't done one from Melbourne yet. The new uh, Embraer factory in Melbourne, Florida. I've, I've been down there, but I have not delivered an airplane from there up till now. My uh, 100 and, you know, 300 that I've delivered and gone down from uh, Brazil. Um, so I'll, I do, I think I've got it all. I contract, little mentoring, um, and then type rating for
3: You just can't get enough flying, can you? <laughs> you you, you, you <laughs> yeah, obviously well, love it.
5: Start when you're young, and, that, and you, you, it's one of those things you love to do, you
0: know?
3: Well, it just sounds like you're really passionate about it. Yeah, and it comes through. I mean, obviously, look at all these things you've done. It's, it's an incredible career and an amazing path. And you know, a question about the transition. Uh, you said you have a lot of you have people that go from the Cirrus Bonanza and then over to a, a you know a single seat jet. The transition process. I mean, how long does it take to go from the Bonanza to? a point where they're not no longer hanging off the tail of the airplane in that Phenom. Is that, does it take like 50, 100 hours? About how long, how long is the training, you think, till they're pretty much competent?
5: Well, let me, um, the most recent, the one I just recently put a guy through uh, his type rating, in a single pilot type in the 100, he, he had been flying a, um, a commander, a twin commander for the last 15 years. mm mm-hmm. You know, he had old avionics, and he had, uh, you know, those two prop engines, and uh, I think the hardest thing for him was getting used to the, uh, the, the Garmin, the V1000. Um, you know, flying the airplane's easy, but obviously when you get in the in the airplane with the examiner, and they make you do this, that, and the other, and, you know, it, it's, it's, as you know, Len, you've been through a lot of check rides. I mean, when... You, you, you do a lot of different things that you, you normally you never see. I mean, whether it's the circling, I mean, uh, the guys that were flying these airplanes out, Part 91, are just not doing a lot of things, obviously, you, you get examined for. Mm-hmm. So, that being said, I mean, it took him a little while longer uh, than the previous. One of the other guys I flew had flown uh, CRJs in uh, the sky west, and it you know, was a snap for him. I think he was done four rides, four rides. But uh, the fellow uh, I think it took him now we also did the cross country so that doesn't really count but I I guess you count took it all back it, it'd be about 30 hours for the gentleman the commander mm-hmm. and uh, the guy from Sky West is probably five hours yeah of course he's flying you know he's flying every day and he's right, 10, right. 10, 10, 10 hours and this guy's running a company and he's flying as not as, as he's, so uh Anyway, that being said, I mean, it just depends, you know, um, not, not, not one of my students, but a a fellow instructor in the phenom community, uh, taught a guy, came out of a syrup, and went into the phenom, you know, so he not only did he get his, his, uh, type rating, but he also got a, a multi-engine rating as well at the same time, and I think he was probably a three or four hundred hour pilot when he transitioned, and I think he did it in Thirty hours, so uh-huh. they're out there. I mean, an airplane is built to fly. At the same it's not—you know—once you master that G one thousand, you can talk to the airplane, and you know how the autopilot works, and the airplane is very user-friendly. Mm-hmm. It's a real pleasure to fly.
3: Well, I guess a lot of people that have G one thousand experience could run over to that and, and jump in. there oh, yeah. quickly. And there's there's sure. a lot of them out there.
5: Yeah, very intuitive system and a and a real nice system. Um, and I think you know even in some of the, the bigger jets, they're they're moving not the G one thousand, but the, the the more advanced uh, I think the Citation ten. I think last year announced they're going to use the Garmin as a five thousand, I believe. But, um, but it's you know it's the same very user friendly intuitive system mm-hmm. basically. Transitioning it just makes it really easy for me. And I, I think it's a good thing. You know, there, there shouldn't be anything magical. I think a lot of the guys with a bigger airplane they kind of scoff at the arm. They, they, they think it's for the for the toy airplanes. And, and uh, but I think for a, a, a guy who's who can handle it, why not? You know what what what's the problem?
3: <laughs> right. I
5: think that's a good thing.
3: The, uh, hey, I'm looking
1: at a picture of the uh, the flight deck on the Phenom right now, and it's very well laid out. Um, looks it like a look, Well, yeah, it looks, looks like the plane I fly at work, <laughs> except without the Garmin <laughs> system. But uh, it's, it does. It's, it's pretty intuitive, actually, the way it's all laid out. To, especially I could see the transfer from folks flying technically advanced aircraft like the Cirrus and other things with the glass cockpit. They've already got the speed, that, um, or some of the speed, I should say. They're used to some of the speed. They're used to flying. Uh, the 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 Garmin system, so I could see how this would be a uh, a comfortable transition. Um, it's a nice yeah. airplane.
5: Yeah, it really is. It really is, and I my hats off to the Embraer. You know, they really to the, read the, the clean sheet design for a new airplane and to make it so ergonomically and, and uh, not only you know, creature comfort wise, it's comfortable, but from a uh, pilot perspective, it's just a pleasure to fly. It's a, a fun airplane to fly and and, and, and an easy plane to fly well, single pilot, you know. and I, I still, I was him, I had to go, I went and picked up, a uh, fellow I like fly with a lot, and you and his family were over towards uh, in northern Georgia, and I took off at from Charleston to go get him, and I told him when I, I picked him up over there, I said, it was hard for me to get to sleep the night before, because I was so excited to go jump in the jet fly single pilot again, it was a blast, so <laughs> cool. it's just <it's> a ball. <laughs>
3: That's awesome. Now, do you fly uh, props, too? Have you, do you fly small planes?
5: Uh, not as much. I mean, I, I'd like to. I, I, I've been working with a gentleman uh, who was thinking about buying a Cirrus with the idea of eventually transitioning to a like jet. But, uh, he is not fully the trigger, but mm-hmm. I, I miss that. I love to do that. I, I owned a twin-engine, uh, an Aztec, up until about two years ago with a fellow when I lived down in uh Beach. And, um so I love it. I, I'd still love to hang out and go fly, whatever, you know. Could be a service, could be a Aztec or whatever,
3: but uh but yeah, so I do. Oh gosh, I wish I still had my one eighty two, I'd I'd pop over and go flying with you. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. I love that. Yeah. They, hey, you know the the phenom, is there any way to I was just thinking about this, this would be the coolest thing. If someone could take like a flight, like anybody who's ever wanted to fly a jet. I wonder if there's anybody out there that does that. Says, okay, you know, for we'll give you five hours. Do you do you know anybody that does that, or can you do that? Hook something like that up. Say, hey, I want to fly in the Phenom for five hours. I
5: don't you know, I, I, I don't know of any situations like that. Now, if, if a guy, you know, I know you're talking about something else, but for for guys that are interested in possibly buying one of these things, they they obviously have got deals like that. Right. But you know, most of these guys that have bought these things, they don't want to. Unless they're, they're trying to leak some out for revenue or something like that, they will do it. But and I, there's not a whole lot of those deals going on as far as I know. Mm-hmm.
3: Wow! Well, I tell you, you've done you've done so much. I'm just looking at all the things on your website here, and uh, just it's amazing all the different types of aircraft you've flown. And yeah, sure I had to <laughs> I had to stop.
1: If you, as you could tell, I would have been reading on and on. The achievements
3: are uh, are numerous, impressive. Yeah, is there anything you haven't flown? I'm trying to find here. <laughs> Let's start there. A UFO.
2: <laughs>
5: well, I've been been really really blessed and just uh really, you know, I wake up in the morning and, and uh, pinch pitch myself to think about what I get to do. It's just it's, I still do that, you know. I did it back when I was flying gray F sixteen and red, white, and blue ones, and now in the, the phenom jet. it's just the black. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, thanks for joining us today. I just had one question for you. You have obviously accomplished so much in your aviation career and have a lot more to do, I'm sure. Is there any one piece of advice you'd give to uh, future and current pilots out there looking to just do at least a, accomplish at least a third of what you have done?
5: (laughs) Gosh, you know what I'd say is just, um, you know, we all, no matter what we do, we get to uh, uh, certain points in life when you think that what you're doing doesn't matter, or that uh, you get tired of it, or um, I mean, that's just part of life. You know, it doesn't matter what you do. But you know, in aviation, and I, I've been there before. i you know, you get to a point you're doing certain things, and and you think, gosh, this. Um, sometimes it just doesn't get. Any, it's not any fun. You know, it doesn't matter what you're doing. I. I you look, you all are looking at my uh, bio and thinking, How can you say that? We're all human, you know, we all, you know, we all have that in us. It's just mm-hmm. it's life. But I'd say don't quit, um, just keep pressing towards your goal, you know, whatever that goal is. You know, God puts different goals in different people's hearts, and keep pressing on to what that is and, and don't give up.
2: I love your positive attitude, that's great.
3: Yeah. And just one thing before, before we close, I want to add to this is that, you know, one of the reasons here, especially in America, we can, we can sleep well at night is because, you know, flo- folks like you who are out there protecting our country and spent their lives doing that. And, uh, you know, we just really do appreciate your service and just want to thank Absolutely. you Absolutely. Thank you.
5: Oh, thank you. I, it was an honor to do it. And, uh, if, uh, if I could turn the clock back, I'd go back and do it again. I, I it was an honor to serve and, my hat's off to all those uh, young men and women that are doing that right now, and, and uh, I thank them.
1: So thank you all. Our pleasure. Well, Dave, tell um, uh, the listeners out there, if they've got any information, may, I don't know, if they're interested in just uh, hearing, talking to you more directly, maybe about your accomplishments, or even folks who are interested in training with you, how can, uh, how can they find you on the web, uh, website, Twitter, what, uh, telephone? What, what do you got going on?
5: Sure. Well, they, the easiest way probably is to go to my website and, my my company is Higher Calling Aviation, but if you just type in my name, uh, D-A-B-E Dave Kaufman C O F F M A N dot com, Kaufman dot com. That'll take you to my website, and um, it's got a, my email address. And if you want to call my uh, phone number, as well as um, my uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter feed uh, so and LinkedIn as well. So uh, more the barrier. I'd, I'd love to. Talk to anybody that's interested in aviation, or, or just to shoot
1: the ball, whatever. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, there's, there's definitely plenty of us out there, especially on social media these days. So it's a, it's been a great tool. Obviously, you and I uh, wouldn't have connected without social media over the time frame. So we and uh, we've commented on that. I think numerous times before how it sort of made our community uh, closer and friendlier and given us a way to uh, share stories and and just all kinds of stuff. Um, and, and, and it's just been a great experience all around. So uh, higher a higher calling a is the other website for folks looking to get in touch with Dave there. Uh, definitely. It's definitely worth checking out his bio and seeing all the stuff that I didn't have time to mention all the accomplishments. And um, I'm sure there's plenty of, Plenty of things the listeners out there might uh, might dial into you and say, "Hey, that was cool. How'd you do this?" Or um, you know, look look for some feedback. They definitely listening out there in, in the podcast land. So um, we were definitely uh, from you know from me and Rick and Carl and Victoria. We really appreciate having you on the show today. Well, thank you for uh, it's an honor to to, uh,
5: to be in your company and to be able to talk about flying. I really enjoyed it. Hopefully. We can uh, do this across the table one day with with a beverage of your choice.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Uh, Grape juice for Victoria only. you got to watch out for her. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of Victoria, Victoria, uh, let the listeners remind the listeners how they can get in touch with you.
2: Well, here's the reminder that you can get in touch with me on my blog toriaflies.blogspot.com and it has all my info under the contact section
3: excellent carl uh you can find me at my website expertaviator.com. I have links to twitter and facebook there and rick
4: our felty on twitter rd felty on youtube and rotationspeed.com
1: cool and i'm over at thepilotreport.com also the pilot report on facebook and twitter So for myself, Len Costa, Carl Valeri, Rick Felty, Victoria Nouvel, and our guest Dave Kaufman, we thank you all for tuning in to episode number 30 of the Stuck Mike Avcast. I wish you guys all clear skies and calm winds. Take care, everybody.
0: Costa Production.